Hey, Connection Point, we've got a special treat for you this weekend. We're going to hear from Dr. Mark Job. He is the president of the Moody Bible Institute. And the Moody Bible Institute is one of those organizations that has been reaching people in new ways and making disciples in very deep and significant ways for over 100 years. So Dr. Job brings that legacy with him, but you're also going to hear he brings a lot of passion and excitement to do what we're all about here, and that is connecting people to Jesus and to others. As we continue the momentum of our Changemaker series, in which we were reminded that the greatest purpose in life is to join God in reaching the lost and connecting people to Jesus, making disciples who make disciples, Dr. Job's message is gonna be just a, a great way of us continuing to remind ourselves that's what we're all about. We do things we've never done before to reach people we've never reached before. Next week, I'm gonna be back. This week, by the way, I might be in the very service you're in. For once, I get to actually sit with Mel and enjoy a church service. So thank you for allowing me to do that on occasion. It's good for my marriage and it's good for us as a church. Next week, I'll be preaching again and I'll be starting our Christmas series. It's called Let There Be Joy. And it's gonna be a series that encourages you deeply. I hope you'll start praying right now. Who can you invite to one of our seven Christmas Eve services? Have you signed up to serve in one of the services? Hopefully there's a place where you can attend a service and then serve in one right after. Maybe you serve in one and then attend one. It takes a whole army of us to reach between seven and 8,000 people with the good news of Jesus this Christmas Eve. So if you haven't yet signed up to serve, please do that and please be praying and inviting. I'll see you in person next week for Let There Be Joy. I know you're gonna be encouraged. Would you put your hands together and give Dr. Job a big connection point welcome? Thank you. Good morning, Connection Point. You know, I like your pastor already, Pastor John, because you know that if someone moves all the way from California to Indianapolis, that it has to be Jesus, right? Uh, you know, I hear a lot of people move the opposite way, saying they're led by the Spirit. I'm not sure. So it's great to be with you today. My name is Mark Job, as Pastor John said already. And I've heard that the 1115 service is the best crowd. I've heard that, that it's just a kind of a warm-up for the others. I don't know. That's just the rumor out there. How many of you listen to Moody Radio, 97.9 FM? Um, yeah, thank you for listening to Moody Radio. Um, I, I actually have a preaching program uh, Monday through Friday at 1030 that's broadcast out of this area called Bold Steps. And so uh, it's great to be able to minister to people in this community. I want to say that my, my wife was in one of the services, just so you think she's not uh, bailing out. She said she loves Jesus but doesn't need to listen to me preach three times in a row. So um, just wanted you to know that. Today I want to talk to you about what it means to be a transporter, a carrier. Every person in this auditorium, in one way or another, you are a carrier. And as I was thinking about this, I thought the people that understand what it means to be a carrier the most are mothers. How many moms do we have in this place? All right, a bunch of moms. And if you're a mom here, you know that you carried a baby around for nine months. You were a carrier, eating for two, trying to work through the discomfort of, of, of carrying that baby around. You're carrying a life with you. And uh, I guess I'm thinking a lot about babies these days because I have three children, a 27-year-old daughter, 25-year-old, and a 20-year-old. And for the first time ever, my daughter announced that she's pregnant. So I'm really, uh, my married daughter announced that she's pregnant. We're super excited about it. And... Um, my wife's grinning ear to ear about the pregnancy. I think she's happy because now she can have a baby without going through labor pains. And, and we can spoil a baby and then give it back to the parents and they can do all the hard work. But when my wife got pregnant for the first time, we had been married for six years. And uh, we had been praying for a child. We wanted a child. And, and finally, God opened the doors of the womb and we found out she was pregnant. We were elated about it. She convinced me to go to a, a coaching group for uh, baby birthing. And so I went like three weeks 
with her to this coaching group for the birth of a baby. At the end, I got a t-shirt, and I felt like I was an expert at birthing now. And so, when the day came that she started to have contractions, I said, don't worry, I put on my coach t-shirt. I said, don't worry, I got this covered. I rubbed her back the way they taught me to rub the bag. I just kind of said, let me pull out my watch and let me figure out your contraction, you know, the, the time between. And uh, she was all happy. I was all happy. She said, this is not as bad as women say it's going to be. I said, hon, they're all exaggerating. Don't worry. She went in the other room, and I heard this scream. I mean, this scream. I thought, something's wrong. I ran over there. I said, honey, what's wrong? She said, I think I broke my back. She was having back labor. And I said, no, it's just a contraction. She said, no, I think I broke my back. I said, well, maybe. We got in the car, rushed to the hospital. My father was driving. She's in the back seat of the the car. She's crying. She's grabbing my hand. She's looking at me, and she says to me, Mark, Mark, why is God letting me go through this? In my mind, I wanted to say we prayed six years. (laughs) The pastor part of me wanted to say, well, turn to Genesis chapter 3, because That's where the curse happened. Before the curse, there was no pain and uh, child labor. But I looked at her eyes and I said, I better never give her a Bible study right now. And I just said, I I don't know why God's letting you go through this. 28 hours later, I held a little baby girl. But I learned that carrying a baby is a challenge. It's difficult. I believe that God has called every single person in this auditorium to be a carrier, not of a baby necessarily, but to be a carrier of people, uh, someone that carries people into the presence of Jesus. And so I want you to take your Bibles this morning, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17 through 26, it's a story that's found in three of the Gospels. It's found in Mark chapter 2, verses 3 through 12. It's also found in Matthew chapter 2, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 2 through 8. The setting is Capernaum. The house, we think it was Peter's house. Peter was married. It refers to his mother-in-law in Scripture. I've been to Capernaum in Israel, and they actually have a site that they think was Peter's house, and they have a whole shrine built around it. Not sure that was the actual place, but nonetheless, that was the setting. Jesus, his reputation had already gone before him. Uh, Crowds were gathered around to see this miracle worker. Some had gathered because they had a sick person that they wanted healed. The lame, the blind, the deaf. Some had dragged their uh, demon-perturbed son or daughters there. Some were coming because they were antagonists to Jesus. In fact, it tells us specifically in Luke chapter in Luke chapter five, verse seventeen. It says, "One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there." And they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. There was about 6,000 Pharisees that lived at that time. The Pharisees were the most religious people that you could find. There were two groups. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, The Sadducees didn't believe in the bodily resurrection. The Pharisees did. But the Pharisees were like lawyers when it came to the law. They were legalistic. They were religious. They were hard They were judgmental, they were critical, and they were some of the worst enemies of Jesus. And so they had gathered around this house, crowded out, overflowing, to get a glimpse of Jesus. Now I want you to notice what it says. It says, they had come from every village of Galilee, and from Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. 
I believe that God has called you to be a carrier or a transporter. And let me describe what a carrier or transporter is. Uh, Transporters are people that discern the times and they move to action to seize the moment. I want you to notice about this is that the Luke, who happens to be a medical doctor who wrote the book of Luke, he says this, people had gathered from all over to this house in Capernaum, and listen, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now I think to myself, hey, I thought Jesus could heal the sick at any time, and he could. But there are moments and times where Jesus healed a lot of sick people, and there are moments and times when he barely healed the sick. There are moments when Jesus fed the 5,000, and there are moments when it seems like he healed everyone that was there, and there's moments where people came and Jesus barely healed any of the sick. He went to his hometown of Nazareth, and the Bible says that he barely healed anyone there. And there are times when he just wanted to teach and people were convicted, God works in different seasons at different times. And as carriers, as transporters, we need to be sensitive to cooperate with what God is doing in that season. In fact, it tells us in this passage that some men, verse 18, now we know because of Mark chapter 2 that there was four men. It says some men came carrying a paralyzed man. So, I want you to think about this for a second. Somewhere down this story, there's some men. We don't know if they were in Jerusalem, in Galilee. Uh, We don't know if they were in Judea. But some men felt impressed, driven, inspired to actually approach one of their friends who was a paralyzed man. And they felt like, We have to do something about this. And so these four men, together, each of them grabbed one side of the mat, they picked up their paralyzed friend, and they started to walk towards Jesus. And the Bible has said that Jesus' presence, the power of God, was there to heal the sick. Think about it. God is healing the sick And somewhere around there, someone is moved to take a a sick person to the feet of Jesus. Now, we don't know the names of the carriers. We don't know their personalities. We know very little about them. We just know that they were four men. But I imagine that, I imagine knowing how people work, that someone had to come up with the idea, right? Right? There always has to be an initiator, someone that says, hey, by the way, our friend, let's say Levi, our friend Levi is sick. What if, what if, there's always someone with a crazy idea. How many of you know have friends with crazy ideas? What if we were to pick him up? What if this guy Jesus could heal him? What if he actually is who he says he is? What if we were to take him there? What if he were to be able to touch him, what if he were to be able to be healed? And so he talks to a couple other friends. How many of you know there's always an Eeyore in the crowd as well? Someone that says, it's not going to work. We're going to drop him. What if he's not healed? You don't want to encourage him that way. And then there's the person that always goes with whatever the crowd says. Okay, if you say, let's do it. And the other person is always against it. And so four people come together. They take this guy. They're traveling to the presence of Jesus. I happen to believe that they are moved by the Holy Spirit of God. Because they are moved to take a paralyzed man to a place where the power of God is present to heal the sick. Can I tell you something? It is not your job to do God's work. It is your job to cooperate with what God has already begun to do. You can't save anybody, heal anybody, change anybody. I know that sometimes you think you're the helper to the Holy Spirit wise, but you're not. You can't change your husband or your wife. Only God can do that. Do I hear an amen? 
But it is our job to cooperate with what God is doing. And so part of our job is to ask God, what are you doing and how can we cooperate with what you're doing? And I believe that oftentimes we walk by opportunities because we're not asking ourselves, what is God doing? And how can we cooperate with what God is doing? I believe that my most fruitful times of ministry have not been when I lay my plans before God and say, God bless my plans, but when I ask myself, Lord, what are you doing? How are you working? And how can I follow and cooperate with what you're doing? Uh, Let me give you an example of this. Uh, Probably about three years ago, I started to be aware that my heart for people that needed Jesus was getting sort of cold. And I realized it had been a while since I had shared the gospel with people and it prayed passionately for people to come to Christ. And I I started to say, God, I, I, I feel like I'm not really passionate about the lost and people that really need to know Christ. There's not this urgency about my spirit. There's not this passion about my preaching. Lord Jesus, would you stir my heart? Would you give me your heart for what you're doing at this time? Would you give me your heart? And as soon as I had prayed that, that Saturday night, I woke up about three or four in the morning. Normally, I don't wake up that early in the morning. And for some reason, I was wide awake at three in the morning, so I said, God, if you woke me up, I'm just going to pray. And so I started to pray for the people that maybe. Sunday morning in church and those people that didn't know Jesus and something unusual happened. I felt like my heart was softened and I had a burden that I hadn't had in a while and here I am in my bed at three o'clock in the morning and I'm praying for people that I don't even know who they are but I have tears going down the side of my face because I felt like God was giving me an urgency, a passion for people that needed Jesus When I got to church, the worship was going, and I was in the back, and as I was worshiping God and looked at the auditorium, I could see that there were people that they were probably there for the first time. And as I listened to the worship again, I started to weep, and I had this sensitivity of heart, a tenderness in my soul for people that needed Christ. When I got up there to preach, I could barely preach, but I had this passion like there are people in this auditorium that are far from God and the love of God and the mercy of God is reaching out to them and there's an urgency here that people come to know Jesus. At the end of that service, we had Uh, a few people that were getting baptized, and so they came forward to get baptized, and normally I don't do this, but I felt compelled to say, you know what, these people have gotten baptized, you've heard their testimonies, and can I just say that there are some people in this auditorium that maybe God is calling you today to repent, to believe, and to be baptized, and give your life to Christ, because you've been thinking about it, and you are here not out of coincidence, but out of a drawing of the Spirit of God. And so I'm going to call you, if God is calling you to come to Christ today, that Jesus is all God, became all man. There is no plan B for your salvation. There is only plan A. If there was a plan B, Jesus would have never come. And so as I presented the gospel, to my surprise, people started coming forward, uh, uh, a few people crying and weeping, and then more people came, and by the time it was done, there were 30 people that had came. We weren't ready for that many people, and so we baptized them there in the name of Jesus in their street clothes. The next week, the same thing happened, got up at three in the morning, wept, I felt this tenderness of heart, felt like I could barely preach, got up and preached Jesus Christ again. This time we were prepared with some towels and baptistry, called people forward to give their life to Christ and there was about 38 people that came forward that Sunday, weeping, saying, yes, I need to give my life to Jesus. I was towards the end of the baptism of baptizing people, and suddenly, as we were towards the final person getting baptized, there's, I saw the back door of the auditorium open, and this lady run down the aisle, and she came up, and she was breathing. She said, Pastor, I'm here to give my life to Christ to repent, believe, and be baptized. She said, excuse me, I'm in my pajamas. I said, yeah, I kind of noticed. She said, well, let me tell you what happened. She is, uh, I was watching online, 
She said, and I turned to my husband with urgency, and I said, I need to give my life to Jesus and be baptized today. She said, so I ran out to the car. I jumped in the car. I drove to the church as fast as I could. I double parked. She said, the parking lot guy said, hey, lady, you can't park there. She said, I need to give my life to Jesus and be baptized. He said, okay, go ahead, go ahead. And so she said, I'm here. Because I feel an urgency to give my life to Christ. And so in her pajamas, she was baptized. In four weeks, 200 people were baptized. One couple came in late the fourth week, and I had never seen them before, and they said, we came to get baptized today. We felt an urgency. I turned on my husband and said, we need to repent, believe, and be baptized, and she came, and she said, we've never been to church, but we've been watching online. She said, we drove an hour and 20 minutes to get here. Today, we are watching online and felt this urgency to give our life to Christ, and so they came because of that. Let me tell you what happened. It was simply because God's power in that moment moment was there to bring salvation to people's lives and God was doing it but he was looking for someone to cooperate with him the Bible says in the power of God was there to heal the sick and as the power of God was there to heal the sick suddenly God was moving in four men to bring the sick to the presence of Jesus. The second thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes is not only are transporters people that discern the times, but number two, transporters are people that persist in overcoming obstacles to bring the broken to the presence of Jesus. It says in verse 18, and some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Now, don't miss the fact that this man was paralyzed. Hear me well. Don't miss the fact that this man could not get there on his own. I don't know if he was a paraplegic. I don't know if he was paralyzed from the waist down. It doesn't give us that specific, but it does tell us that he was paralyzed. That if he had wanted to get there on his own, he did not have the capacity to get there on his own. He needed a carrier. Do you know that in our society there are a lot of people that are paralyzed? Spiritually paralyzed? They'll never come to the presence of Jesus because they've been paralyzed by doubt Paralyzed by shame, paralyzed by guilt, paralyzed by addiction, paralyzed by a bad experience in their early childhood with church, paralyzed by cynicism. And so they're not going to come to the presence of Jesus. They're not going to come to a place where God is worshipped. They're not going to come to a place where the gospel is preached, where the presence of God is, where liberation can happen. They'll never come on their own. They're not going to wake up one day and say, hey, guess what? Let me get dressed, take a shower, and go to church. That's not going to happen. The only way they will come, the only way they will overcome their paralysis is if there's carriers beside them. Uh, people that know that they need the presence of Jesus more than they know that they need the presence of Jesus and that are willing to say, hey, I'll take up a, a, a corner of the mat. I will carry you in your doubt to the presence of Jesus. I will reach out to you. I will love you enough to, tear, to carry you. I will put effort and energy in taking you to a place where God is present, where his spirit is alive and well, where transformation can happen, but they need some carriers. I know that some of you look and you say, well, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a singer. I can't be a singer because I can't fit into skinny jeans. And you may be saying, I, I don't know a lot about the Bible. I, I, 
you know, I didn't, never studied in theology school, but I'm going to tell you that we all have the, we all, we all are called, all of us, if you know the Lord, if you have the Spirit of God inside of you, all of us are called to be carriers. People that bring others into the presence of Jesus and let Jesus do the changing, the transformation, the healing, the salvation. He's the one that does it. We don't do it. You are not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. But thank God that we worship and praise and follow a living Jesus that has power to transform lives. And I want you to notice what these guys do. I love their insistence and persistence. They get to the house of Peter, and once they arrive, there's overflow crowd, and they can't get close to the presence. They they can't even make it inside of the door. The Pharisees are there, and I just can imagine that they, they get there, they've walked a long way, they're tired, they've been carrying a guy. They finally get to the place. And then they, they say, excuse me, can I get, hey, hey, we're all here to see Jesus. Back of the line, at least in Chicago they'd say it that way. Back of the line, dude, what are you waiting for? And then they're saying, hey, no, 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 we're all here to see Jesus. The Pharisees are probably aggravated and showing very little compassion. They try to get in, they can't get in. And so probably the, the, the same guy that had the crazy idea to bring them to the presence of Jesus looks at the scenario and says, I got an idea. Eeyore saying, oh no, another idea, I knew it's a, hey, he says, what if we climb onto the roof, we looked around more or less where Jesus is standing, we dig a hole in the roof, and then we lower our friend right in front of Jesus, isn't that a great idea? Eeyore saying, we're going to drop him, it's not going to work, we're going to be arrested, I don't know. So, listen, the Bible says, Look what, it, look what it says. It says, so they went up when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. They went up on the roof. These roofs were uh, made out of clay and branches. They go up on the roof. They find more or less where Jesus is at. They dig a hole in the roof. I mean, imagine Jesus is at the bottom, he's teaching, crowded out house, suddenly little mud starts falling from the ceiling, little branches start falling from the ceiling, there's noise and commotion up there, a little ray of light comes in, then a hand, you see a hand, everybody's now looking at the ceiling to see what's going on, then you see an eyeball in there say, yeah, this is about the right place, they keep pulling, everybody stops for a moment to look up, branches are falling, Peter's mother-in-law saying, I know we shouldn't have had it at the house here, I know we shouldn't have had it, this was a bad idea from the beginning, and so Suddenly, the the hole gets bigger. I mean, I've been preaching for a long time. It's hard to preach through distractions. I was preaching one time to about uh, 500 high school students, and a bird got loose in the auditorium. All of the students were going like this. So I just said, let's stop. Let's look. Hard to preach because you lose people's attention. Another time I was preaching in a warehouse that we had just entered into Chicago and a leak sprung right in the front row. We baptized a whole bunch of people that day. Unwillingly, they were all baptized in the front row. And I was trying to preach while this big stream of water was coming down. Just about three weeks ago, I was preaching at our, uh, our, our second service in Chicago And you know, Chicago, we have a lot of characters that come to church in Chicago. Probably not as many characters as you have here, but I'm sure you have your characters as well. And I'm preaching, and I hear sort of this guy kind of make a noise over on the side, and I could tell he's either high or drunk or something's going on there. So I actually have to stop in the middle of my message and say, hey, 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 bro, you need to pipe down a little bit here. And he wasn't piping down. So next thing I know, our, our security team is going down to talk to him, to ask him to get out. Our security team is a Chicago cop. Uh, he's unwilling. And before I know it, we have a little brawl happening in church there. He starts swearing up a storm. And let me tell you, no one was looking at me and listening to the message. Everybody was looking to see what was going on. 
So I said, hey, why don't we stand up and give God a praise offering today? Because I didn't want the kids to learn all kinds of new swear words that were in the auditorium. And so they, were, they managed to get them out of the auditorium. But I lost everybody's attention for a moment. Imagine that Jesus is preaching, speaking, trying to give us these profound lessons about the kingdom of God, and he's interrupted by these guys that are making a hold of this in the ceiling because there are some persistent, creative, bold carriers that believe if I can just get this person into the presence of Jesus, something dynamic and powerful will occur. I wonder how persistent we've been lately. I wonder how much you believe that. A few years back, we were ministering in Chicago. I pastor a church in Chicago. I'm, I'm the president of Moody Bible Institute, which is downtown Chicago. That has the radio, has the college, and also has the, the, the printing, the publishing. But I'm also the pastor of a church in Chicago. I started when I was 21 years old in the southwest side of Chicago in a little church that had 18 people, drug dealers on the corner, gangs in the neighborhood. I was way over my head. My salary was $8,000. And I had grown up in a town of 200 people in northern Spain. I still remember my phone number, 8 that was really my phone number. And so when God called me to pastor in Chicago, I was like, I don't like this city, don't want to be in this city. God, you got the wrong person. Put me in a little village in northern Spain with the cafe con leche. I'm good. Put me in the heart of the city of Chicago with gangs and drugs and shootings. And this is like way out of my comfort zone. But that little church, by God's grace, um, has grown to now we minister to 7,000 people in 28 locations around the city of Chicago, most of whom have come to know Jesus at that place. But a few years ago, we were, we were concerned about kids in a neighborhood, a particular neighborhood in Chicago called Little Village Neighborhood, an immigrant Mexican community that has a lot of gang violence. And the pastor in that community was telling me, hey, Pastor Mark, we have a lot of kids in this community that get sent to jail. They get involved in gangs. And we're, we're struggling to figure out how to minister to them because we hate the fact that so many kids from our community are going to jail or being recruited by gangs, and we feel like we need to do something about it. And so this, this his name is Matt DiMatteo, he became a carrier. He felt like, I need to carry these kids to the presence of Jesus, but I don't know how. And so as he was racking his brain trying to figure out how to carry people into the presence of Jesus, he ran into a probation officer that attended the church, and the probation officer said, hey, a lot of kids are going to jail because they're told they're arrested because of a gun violation, gang affiliation, they're 16, 17 years old, and then they're told they have to go see a probation officer in a neighborhood that's another gang, and they don't go because they're afraid they're going to be shot, and so they get sent to jail. So what if we opened up the doors of our church to be a place where the probation officer could meet with them, and we become a space where they can meet with them? And so we said, all right, let's do that. So we opened up the doors of the church. These young gang-affiliated members started coming to the church, dropping off the church, seeing a probation officer. There was a lot of incentive because if you don't go to, if you don't drop by, you get sent to jail. So they started coming. We started saying, these young guys need male mentors, so we started recruiting men from the church that would spend time with them, mentor them, uh, work with them. Um, we started going to visit their families, going to the school. The city of Chicago saw what we were doing. And um, to make a long story short, now we have 40 full-time people that mentor a lot of gang-affiliated youth. We go to their houses. We go to their schools. 
Many of them have, have dropped out of the gangs. A bunch of them have come to know Jesus and are following Jesus, have gotten baptized in a whole different way, a whole different road now. And we uh, mentor face-to-face 220 youth every week um, in the city of Chicago because a person decided, hey, we have to carry people to the presence of Jesus. And I know that there's needs all around this area. They may not be gang needs, but I know there's needs all around this area that need someone to say, I want to be a carrier. I want to figure out a way to carry some of these people into the presence of Jesus because I know that God has the power to transform and change lives. These men, they were creative in finding a solution, which leads me to number three. Not only are transporters people that discern the times, they persist in overcoming obstacles. Number three, these are people that combine their faith and action in a way that moves the heart of God. Notice what it says. They went up onto the roof, they lowered him on a mat, through the tiles, into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. So imagine Jesus is preaching, everybody's stopping, they're looking, they make a hole that's big enough for this guy to fit through. Now they're lowering him with ropes. I don't know how far the ceiling is, maybe 12, 15 feet. They're lowering him down. They're trying not to drop him. Everybody's scattered around. They get him right in front of Jesus, right in front of Jesus. And here's what I want you to say. Oh, I love this. As a speaker, as a teacher, as a preacher, I get aggravated by interruptions. But I want, to, I want you to see the heart of Jesus in this. When Jesus looks at this man and the four men that lowered him, he says the first words out of Jesus' mouth are this, friend, your sins are forgiven. Wow. Don't you love that about the heart of God? See, the heart of God is not, you've messed up our service. The heart of God isn't, don't you know how to behave in a religious setting? The heart of God is you came broken with your issues. And when Jesus sees the faith of people bringing people into his presence with issues, he doesn't turn away. In fact, his heart softens towards people that are paralyzed and broken. Listen, I hope, and I believe this is that kind of church, but I hope if you brought someone into this church that is broken, that doesn't know how to sing the hymns, and maybe you're here today and you feel a little bit like that, or maybe you're watching online and you feel a little bit like that, there are people here in this auditorium that you feel, I don't belong. Maybe there's shame, guilt. Maybe you just got high last couple days ago. And you're showing up in church and you figure if people only knew my problems, they would probably sit three seats over from me. Maybe you struggle with overcoming your past. You've had a couple of abortions. Or maybe you're on your third marriage. You feel like, I don't belong. And you wonder, what's the reaction of Jesus towards you as you walk into a place like this with dysfunction, brokenness, areas of shame, guilt, addiction? And let me tell you the reaction of Jesus when people are seeking him, even though they may be paralyzed or broken. And when they're coming to find a solution in Jesus, the heart of Jesus is not, hey, get religious and then come back to me. Clean up your act. Sort out your life. Clean up your language. And then come back to me. The heart of Jesus is you came to me in your brokenness. I'm going to meet you in your brokenness and touch your life and transform you by my power, friend. Can, can, Can I tell you something here? Look up at me. If you feel like you don't belong, can I tell you something? You belong in this place. 
The enemy has lied to some people and made them think that they are outsiders, that they are anonymous. And I want you to know today, I want you to know today, you belong. You belong. If you are sincerely seeking after Jesus, if you are sincerely looking for solutions, if your faith is not quite developed, but you are here because you're hungry after God, I want to say, you belong. Jesus' heart was broken and moved out of deep compassion uh, for this individual, even in his brokenness. The Bible says that, the other thing I want you to see about this, it says that when they broke through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus, verse 20 says, and when they saw whose faith? When they saw in the Greek, it's plural. When they saw, when Jesus saw their faith. Oh, don't miss this. Whose faith did he see? Their faith. What does that mean? It means that it wasn't just the faith of the paralyzed man. It was that Jesus saw the faith of the five of them. Let me tell you, sometimes you have to have faith for people that can't believe on their own. Sometimes you have to believe for people that don't believe. Listen, you need to put your arm around someone that's going through a time where they're suicidal and feel like there's no hope in their life and you have to say, I believe that there is hope for you. I believe that you have a purpose and a destiny that God can turn this around. Some of you have to put your arm around an addict and say, listen, I believe that you can be set free. But they may not believe it themselves, but you say, I believe that God can break the chains. I believe that you can be whole again. Again. Talk to someone that is depressed and feels like they can never get out of that dark hole of depression. And someone needs to come alongside them and say, we're going to walk with you. In fact, we're going to carry you through this season of depression, believing that you're going to make it out and that one day you'll have a story to tell. Walk alongside of that person that's lost a loved one and think they'll never be able to see life again and believe to speak into their life that there is hope, that you can change, that God can do something. What I'm saying is that God sees their faith. Can I tell you, some of you are carriers today. You carry people that can't carry themselves right now. I love what Scripture says in the reaction of the Pharisees was they were just ticked that Jesus said their sins were forgiven. In verse 21, it says, The Pharisees and the leaders of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Hello? That's who forgave their sin. Jesus, all God, all man. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately, he stood up in front of them and took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. You know where that miracle started? You know where that miracle that made it in the Bible started? Into the three of the Gospels? The paralytic that was praising God? The story that's been preached on and told for 2,000 years, you know where it started? It started in the heart of some carriers. It started in the heart of carriers that cared enough about the paralyzed man to say, we will not let him live paralyzed. We will have faith when he doesn't have faith. We will carry him when he can't carry himself. We will be his feet to walk him to the presence of Jesus because we believe that God's presence, that where Jesus' presence, he can change any life. I believe that. I've seen thousands of people transformed by the power of God. I've seen drug addicts that are now pastoring churches. I've seen gangbangers that are now leading marriage classes. I've seen, you name it, I've seen prostitutes that are now leading Bible studies in the name of Jesus. I've seen the power of God work. Oh yeah, you say those people really need it. And I've seen businessmen 
steeped in materialism and living for themselves turn around and have a mindset of humility and servanthood just as much as those that we think need Jesus badly. So I'm going to ask that you stand with me right now. As we close our time together, the musicians are going to lead us in one final song. And I'm just wondering if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I have a prodigal son or daughter that I need to be a carrier for. But I need God to give me faith. Because I look at where they're going and they seem to go from bad to worse. Can I encourage you parents? God is working even when you can't see how he's working. I pray that God would bring to the senses some people that really need Jesus. But I want to say, keep caring and love. You may have a, a husband or a wife that you wish they were worshiping with you today, and they're not. You may have a neighbor or a coworker that's so paralyzed that they're never going to come to the presence of Jesus unless someone helps carry them in love and in faith. Not force them, but love them. Love them. But faith starts in the heart of the carrier, not in the heart of the paralyzed. People out there aren't looking for redemption. Most people aren't looking for salvation. People don't come to this church looking for salvation. They come looking for relief. And in the process, they find salvation. The paralyzed man, he just wanted to walk. He didn't want a savior. But Jesus said, first of all, your sins are forgiven. And then he healed them person going through a divorce, they're not looking for religion. They're not looking for Jesus. They're looking for something for their marriage. And Jesus can step in and do something in their marriage, but bring more than just healing to their marriage. He can bring salvation to their soul. So I'm just wondering how many of you are carriers today. I'm wondering how many of you have felt the deep, deep burden of carrying someone here. And you say, Pastor, I have it in my heart. I'm a carrier and she was saying, God, give me the strength and the grace to continue to carry. Even people like when they don't seem to want to be carried, Father, give me the grace. But you know, how many of you have someone in your mind, someone in your heart, someone that you're burdened with that you say, Pastor, I'm a carrier. Just raise your hand. Yeah, I know people all over this auditorium, you're carriers. You're carriers. Could I say this? Maybe some of you are here today and you've been carried. Some of you have been dragged. Maybe you're here and you've been attending because your wife forces you to attend, but you sit in the back and cross your arms and think, you know, I'm never going to be one of those people. Let me tell you, you're not here by coincidence. God has brought you here for an encounter with you, and you need a Savior. And in your heart, you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit. You cannot be under the Word of God without feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit drawing you to the Savior, saying, hey, you need to give your life. And if I had never, the Bible says you need to believe, repent, and then follow up with the step of baptism. If I had never done that, listen, I wouldn't leave this place without getting on my knees and surrendering to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because some of you have been carried so often, believed for so often, that in your heart, yesterday in the service, I ran into a guy in the hallway, and he said, you know, those elevator doors have been open and closed, and I keep wanting to go through, and then I back off. And I said, well, today's the day of salvation, so we knelt right there in the foyer as he gave his life to Christ. I'm just wondering if some of you are here saying, I need to give my life to Christ today. I need to repent, believe, and then follow through with the step of baptism because I've been carried, but I've been resisting. So here's how I want to end this service. I know a lot of you raise your hand saying, I'm a carrier. And um, I'm going to do this. If you are especially burdened today by the fact that you need your faith to be increased to carry some people around you, if you are especially burdened today, there, we, we can't fit anybody. A lot of people raise their hands, so I, I, I can't 
we don't have enough space here. But if you are especially burdened today by a son, daughter, by a husband, wife, by a mother, uh, a co-worker, and you say, Pastor Mark, I'm a carrier. I'm a carrier, but I need my faith to increase, to believe together, to carry someone to the presence of Jesus. But I'm praying this morning that God would give me the faith and the grace and the persistence and perseverance to be a carrier then I'm going to ask if you especially need prayer for grace that you would just make your way forward to this, to this space. We don't have a lot of space here. But if you would just come and get on your knees and say, God, today give me the strength and power to be a carrier. I need my faith to increase. I'm praying specifically, specifically for someone that you've called me to carry. Go ahead. This place is open right now. Just come. So I'm a carrier. You're just saying, Lord, give me faith, give me strength to be a carrier. Just find a place to get on your knees and say, Lord, today, today I will not give up. And maybe you've taken your hands off the side. Maybe you've carried for a while and you're tired. But today God has, God has prompted you. God has touched you. God has inspired you. God has pushed you to say, hey, be a carrier, be a carrier, be a carrier. I want to say that you are not a savior. If you tried to be the Messiah, then you're burnt out. You are simply someone that brings people into the presence of Jesus. He's the one that heals, changes, transforms. If you try to be the Messiah, then you will quickly burn out, get discouraged. But when you understand you're not a savior, you're a carrier, then you take on a different mindset. Because you realize, I can't do what God can do. Only he can do. Only he can change the heart. Only he can save the soul. Only he can open up someone's eyes to their ways. Only he can turn that around. Stop trying to be Jesus and surrender to say, I am just a carrier that brings people into the presence of the Most High God that has power to do incredible things. So we're going to close with the song as people, if you're here at the front, if you're praying, I just, just pray, God, give me the strength to be a carrier. And maybe you need, maybe God needs to give you partners to be carriers with you. And you need to say, Lord, bring some other carriers around. I'm going to do, but God, could you bring someone? Maybe I don't even know this person that would grab the other side of the mat. Maybe a coworker, maybe someone that you've been praying for someone to witness to them, to get into their circle and just say, God, bring someone into their life. Help me with some other carriers, God, but I will not give up. I will continue, continue to believe and carry people into your presence. If you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ and you know it, you say, I can't leave this place. I don't have to convince you. I don't have to manipulate you. If God, if God through his Holy Spirit has already been working on you, I just have to call it out. Because it's Jesus who does the saving. If you have not given your life to Jesus and you know you need to, I'm just going to say, you know you need to. So stop fighting God. And maybe today is the day you need to surrender to God. And if that's you, you need to, you could do it however, but you need to come and tell someone here at the front, listen, I need to give my life to Jesus. We have some people that will pray with you, but today I need to give my life to Jesus. I can't leave this auditorium without surrendering to Jesus. We're going to sing a song to close with, but you can linger here at the altar as long as you need to. Let's sing.